0: And now for something completely different.
1: Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal, the full story, real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance
2: Roberts, presented by RIA Advisors. Hey, good morning, and welcome to the Tuesday edition of The Real Investment Show. That's right. Kicking off the second day of the last week of the quarter, it's just all great stuff. Markets uh, tried to rally a little bit yesterday, Uh, didn't quite make it. Uh, Coming out of the gate in the the morning, uh, stocks kind of sold off, you know, not surprisingly after such a big day on Friday, had a little bit of a decline, but then rallied back to positive territory, things working like they're kind of supposed to. And then, uh, of course, comments from the SEC yesterday, early in the morning started to weigh on stock prices. They talked about more regulation, particularly in the cryptocurrency space, needing to have more regulatory work in that area because of all the potential fraud that goes on, you know, with cryptocurrency scams, etc. And, and, you know, just real quick, just as a side note, who would have thought that would have ever happened? Um, You know, when you can just kind of issue a coin and people are going to come out and start giving you money for it can't imagine why you might get some fraud, but uh, they are right, need some regulation. And, and it's interesting now is that this is something that we talked about about two years ago on cryptocurrency, saying that eventually there were going to be demands and calls for more regulation, both from the regulatory agencies as well as individuals. And at that time, we got a lot of pushback talking about that because well, the whole purpose of cryptocurrencies is supposed to be outside of regulatory. It's supposed to be the free market economy. There's supposed to be no ties to government. Um, now, it's interesting to see. And when I was uh, on Charles Payne last week on Fox Business, um, the person right in front of me was talking, and she was a cryptocurrency expert, a YouTuber, um, you know, she was talking about, you uh, you know, the fact that cryptocurrency needs regulation. Well, of course it needs regulation, right? Regulation is how we can kind of control to some degree. You're not gonna get rid of all of it. Um, but you can control some fraud, some of the scams, those type of things. But uh regulation is coming. But that's what kind of weighed on markets yesterday morning. But again, you know, the markets really just kind of consolidated for the most part yesterday. Did did have a loss for the day, but Mostly just a consolidation day, and again, not surprising after such a very strong week last week. You know, last week up 6.5%, nice bounce off these lows. Coming up to challenge the 20-day moving average this morning, Futures are pointing higher. Dow's up about 190 points right now. NASDAQ up 62. S P and going to be up a little bit as well this morning. So we're going to try to see another attempt here at the 20-day moving average. Again, as we talked about yesterday, one of the the, the reasons uh, for the rally that potentially this week, this kind of carry-through rally, um, if we get it, is because of this re- quarter-end rebalancing. About $30 billion needs to get put to work by the end of this week as all these mutual funds hedge funds pension funds etc have to issue out their quarterly reports so they want to, they have to be allocated accordingly a lot of these managers underweight equities obviously because of the sell-off in the markets this year but again seeing a bit of a rally here we'll see if we can get some follow-through on that uh, today um, also you know we've got buy signals kind of across the board right now that's giving some lift to the markets but as we've talked about you know don't you know mistake this rally as the bottom right this is again this is another opportunity and we've talked about this repeatedly this year so far is using these rallies as opportunities to rebalance risk take some money off the table Um, you can trade these rallies we had a little bit of exposure at yesterday's lows um, to our portfolios and we're going to kind of trade this rally for the next day or two and then we'll take that exposure back off you can trade these rallies but this isn't the, pip, the place to start trying to add a lot of exposure, thinking we're at the bottom. We're not there just yet. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, first of all, economic growth continues to come in much weaker than expected. Yesterday, we had a very weak report from the Dallas Fed Manufacturing Index. Durable goods were a little bit better. Um, that showed a, a slight uptick more than expected. But a lot of that is because of the, uh, of the demand pull right now that's still kind of coming into the economy. So businesses are still trying to, to keep inventories in. They're still worried about supply shortages. So there's still some areas of the economy where demand for certain goods and services is pulling forward some of those durable-type uh, orders. So we're seeing some of that pull on that side. However, on a lot of the retail side, on the consumption side, lots of weakness there. Retail inventory is very high right now. Sales are starting to decline because of an inability for consumers to pay for much higher prices due to inflation. And this is something we're going to get into this morning talking about. And in, in this in this particularly talking about inventories is what we'll talk about this morning called the bullwhip effect. Because that is something that we actually talked about back at the very beginning of this whole cycle, and particularly after the Biden administration passed their $1.4 trillion stimulus bill in 2021, we talked about the sugar rush economy and how you have this big rush of activity because of all this liquidity. But then you get this bullwhip effect coming back, which is, you know, if you think about how a bullwhip works, right, it goes out, coils, snaps, comes back very quickly. That's the economy that we're in right now. we're having this effect. So we'll talk about the impacts and importance of the bullwhip effect this morning and what that means for economic growth. But the big challenge here is gonna be for equities is that earnings estimates, and this is our article that's on our website today. We have an article out today talking about an earnings recession. And this is because economic growth is slowing, but analysts have not revised lower their earnings estimates. So since earnings are derived from what consumers spend in the economy, as the economy slows, as consumers spend less, those earnings estimates have to come down. And that is just going to be a function of time now until that happens. So as earnings estimates come down, that's going to put more downward pressure on prices as valuations have to adjust. So this is going to be this is why continuing to say here use these rallies as opportunities to reduce risk, rebalance your portfolio. This isn't the time to be overly aggressive. We'll have some nice little tradable bounces here, but outside of that, it's going to be more risk to the downside at least for the time being now as we get further into the summer, particularly into the fall, we will likely start to get much better clarity on a few things here in terms of inflation, what's happening with that, you know, it's likely we've seen a peak of inflation. We'll start to see that come off. Oil prices have come off here recently. That's going to help that inflationary number come down. Housing prices are coming down. Those run a lag. So that's going to start feed, those lower home prices are going to start to feed into inflation over the next couple of months. So likely we've seen the peak of inflation. That's going to put some more pressure on the Fed on terms of hiking rates. And in fact, we're already starting to see analysts and market futures expect rate cuts by the beginning of 2023. Now, that could even get pulled forward uh, into later part of this year into 2022 if we begin to see more of a recessionary impact setting into the economy. And again, you know, while a lot of headlines are talking about the inevitability of a recession, Recessions aren't inevitable. There's always a possibility we could avoid a recession, but there's a lot of indications that suggest a recession is coming in terms of a lot of the economic data that we're seeing already. So this is why earnings estimates will have to come down. That is gonna put more pressure on equities as we get there uh, later this year. So again, continue to moderate your portfolio risk, manage that risk accordingly. Be some good trading opportunities in here like we just saw kind of over over the last few days. But again, these trading opportunities are likely to be limited. And right now, the top of this trading channel is gonna be right around 4,000 on the S&P 500. So this rally's got a little bit more left to it potentially uh, to get back to overbought conditions. But around 4,000, we're going to start to see that downward pressure of the 50-day moving average and other resistance levels at that level really kind of meet, you know, sellers that have been trapped in this market that want to get out. So again, keep a watching the risk. We'll come back after the break. We'll talk about the bullwhip effect and what that means for the economy later this year. I'm Real Science Roberts. Don't go away.
1: Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the Internet at realinvestmentadvice.com.
0: Hurricane season is here, and along the Texas Gulf Coast, we know how to prepare. What we don't always know is which way the storm will go, and if a hurricane does come your way, whether your house will flood. Fortunately, you can get flood insurance. Unfortunately, flood insurance rates have skyrocketed. Don't be at risk. Let the specialists at RIA Insurance assess your needs and shop your coverage for the best rates possible. Another service from realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the insurance
1: tab, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show.
2: the show this morning it is uh 617 as we kind of get things underway now the federal Reserve is obviously they're working hard they're working they're really working hard to try to bring down inflation which of course has been rising at some of the fastest paces we've seen in the last 40 years i mean it's uh you know we haven't seen inflation levels like this since the late 70s and uh, again there's Not a lot of people around that remember the 70s anymore. (laughs) We're all dying off. Um, But no, um, you know, back then, you know, we had a a very different economy. Um, And yes, we had high inflation and we had gas lines at the gas stations and, you know, all those type of things. And people that remember that phase of the economy uh, certainly have vivid memories of what that was like. But we haven't seen that since then. And this is the first real spike. So there's a lot of people today that have never seen inflation like this. And, you know, it's interesting that when you have, you know, higher prices, all of a sudden everybody's kind of freaking out uh, over this whole thing. But also, too, it's worth remembering that 2% inflation is not good either. Low inflation is not healthy for economic growth. And the reason you can say that is, is that pre-2000, 2% economic growth rates were, was considered escape velocity. In other words, you had to have more than 2% economic growth on an annualized basis in order to absorb the increases in the population that you have. So as, at 2%, basically, you're just kind of maintaining economic growth with the current rate of, of population. So as your population grows, you've got to have more than 2% growth to put those people to work, uh, give them jobs, create better economic prosperity, have higher, you know, higher, uh, better outcomes for individuals. And so that 2% growth rate was kind of that, that demarcation point that says, okay— you've out you you've kind of you know outpaced the rate of population growth and so that economic drag you know uh, you know is is reduced and after 2000 as economic growth kept slipping and slipping and slowing we got to the point to where we were just hoping to maintain 2% economic growth and this is really the, the fallacy of all the Fed policy and the, ec- the economic policies, the Keynesian economic policies, and particularly the uh, modern monetary theory policies that have now been tried and failed, that it was all in hopes of creating better rates of economic growth, but not have higher rates of inflation, right? And you can't have that. If you have higher growth, you get higher inflation. And that was the big difference back in the 1970s. Yes, we had, you know, very strong rates of inflation back in the 70s, but we also had very strong rates of economic growth, 8 9% rates of economic growth. So the economy was growing strongly, which means that interest rates were going up, because very high economic growth, and uh, people were demanding loans to put capital to work, etc., which led to higher prices. People were making more in terms of wages. We had high savings rates. And all that supported higher rates of inflation. So, yes, we had higher rates of inflation, but a much stronger economy. Today, we can't handle higher rates of inflation because we don't have higher rates of economic growth to go with it. So it becomes a very insidious impact on consumers very quickly because wages aren't keeping up with inflation. Economic growth isn't keeping up with pro- with inflation. So economic prosperity isn't keeping up with inflation. So inflation just becomes a, a, a drill down on families. And so this is why it's so, you know, it, it feels so bad. And, and where we've lost our way is that instead of worrying about inflation, we need to worry about economic growth. How do we get consistent rates of economic growth? Inflation will take care of itself. But again, this is the, the the reason that we have inflation now is not because we have economic growth. And this was the mistake that everybody made. I shouldn't say everybody, the government made. <laughs> is the government thought that they would experiment with this idea called modern monetary theory, which is simply that you can send money into the the public, right? You can just print print up some money by issuing debt. Send that to households, and it's all fine because the the basis theory of modern monetary theory is that the government's debt is the public's asset. Now, think about that for a second. Modern monetary theory says that there's always an equal balance. It's just an accounting measure between the economy and the government. So when the government goes further into debt, that's actually an asset for individuals, and so that was the theory. So they they looked if we print up a bunch of debt, we print up you know one and a half trillion dollars worth of debt, and then send checks to households. That's all that's all okay because from an accounting measure, it's all equal, right? It's a it's a zero balance. Well, the problem is, of course, is when you send checks to households, that's fine, but you're going to get price increases. See, nothing works in a vacuum ultimately. And let's even assume for a moment that we just send checks to households but we don't shut down the economy, which was the problem that we did is that we shut down the economy so we had no supply and everybody went out to spend their checks and there was no supply to buy so prices went up. But even in an environment where you don't shut down the economy, and this is the the fallacy of, you know, the government saying we need to send more childcare checks to households, right? People need more need more childcare support. That's great. People can't afford childcare. Okay, let's send them some money. Great. What do you think child care companies do when they know that people are getting more money? Right? You think they keep their prices the same? You're getting an extra 1500 bucks a month to pay for child care, but I'm not going to raise my prices? And by the way, okay, I'm not going to raise my prices, but everybody else in the child care industry is going to raise their prices, and I'm going to remain the low-cost provider? No. When you send free money, and this is the whole problem with college tuition, once the government gets involved and starts providing money into something, you're going to get higher prices because everybody knows you're getting free money. It's not a secret, right? (laughs) It's not like the government calls you in the middle of the night and says, hey, shh, don't tell anybody. We're going to send you some money. It's not the way it works. So we have all of this money goes into the system and now everybody you know thinks that this is now organic activity this is just you know we're having this the shutdown of the economy and all of a sudden there's all this demand to buy stuff well it's like wow man this economy's just recovering it's gangbusters we better start ramping up inventory cuz we've got all this all this demand and this is the mistake that businesses made they go we've got all this demand we better go ramp up a bunch of supply And so they started going out they started ordering a bunch of stuff from from retailers. But what they failed to account for is they were thinking that this this recovery in the economy was a function of of being an organic process. But it wasn't. It was just people had free money to spend. But nobody thought about the next step of this and the unintended consequence of free money is that once it's spent, what are people going to spend? So businesses ran out, and they went and started ramping up all this inventory, and then the demand went away because the checks ran out. And this is the bullwhip effect that we were talking about in the first segment. So what the bullwhip effect is, if you think about how a bullwhip works, you know, you you, you whip it out there, and... At the moment that it's fully extended, just snap it back and the, the tip basically breaks the sound barrier and that's how you get that big noise. And then the whip comes flying back at your face. And generally, this is where people just kind of hit the deck and, <laughs> and let it go. <laughs> but that's the bullwhip effect. And this is what happened is that everybody went out and, and ran out to build up inventories. And so now Walmart, Target, Amazon, they all, they all have too many employees and, and they all ramped up employees because they thought this demand that was coming in from these free checks was going to be permanent. So they went and hired a bunch of employees, more than they needed to, to meet this this surge in demand, and they went and bought the, all this inventory. Well, now these inventories are sitting on the shelves and this is a balance sheet issue for these companies. They're not going to maintain these levels of inventories. So they're going to start liquidating them. They'll get discounted. So if you want to go buy something this summer, you're going to get some better prices later on this summer as these things start getting discounted, heavily discounted to get this inner, this uh, inventory moved off the shelves. But that was the case in this past year. And again, as we talked about, you know, you, you, if you take a look, Gap Stores is a good example of this as well. Other retailers this past earnings season's all all put out... Warnings about inventory levels and the need to discount that. So, you know, this is this is gonna this is gonna be the problem. These companies don't want to carry this inventory on a permanent basis. So they're gonna start laying off employees as demand falls. They're gonna liquidate inventories. This is all then, of course, when they liquidate inventories, what does that mean? See, all this stuff flows downhill. Or uphill, depending on which way way you're going, because if I've got too much inventory, that means what? I order less inventory from the manufacturer. So I don't, you know, Brent. Brent makes widgets that I sell, and I was ordering a bunch of widgets. Brent over here, he's been ramping up. He's been going to his his commodity producers to buy the commodities that he needs to make the widget to sell to me, and that, he's had all this demand for me. He's like, man, Amazon's just killing me. I just can't keep up with orders, and all of a sudden those orders turn off. Well, now Brent's got all this inventory of commodities sitting in his shop that he can't sell, which means that he then reduces orders to the commodity manufacturers, so forth and so on. That's the problem we face right now. (coughs) And the problem is now with the Fed hiking rates, that's only going to slow demand in the economy further, making this bullwhip effect last longer and lead the Fed to make rate cuts. But how soon will that happen? We'll talk about that after the break.
1: Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. In
0: 1999, a para fiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help and you can find them right here, maybe
1: you should hire the RIA team. You're listening to The Real Investment Show.
2: And welcome back to the show. So As we were talking about a moment ago, the bullwhip effect is, in effect, (laughs) as the ramp up in inventories has now kind of come home to roost. And the issue of inflation has likely seen its peak as well as prices will now have to start getting discounted across the board. And again, we've talked about the issue with housing prices. Housing prices make up about 43% of the CPI calculation. Those run a lag by a couple of months. And, of course, what we're seeing across the country right now is home prices are coming down as interest rates have gone up, mortgage rates have gone up. Um, so that, we'll see that feed into the inflation number here over the next couple of months. So inflation is is going to be coming down. And now because of this bullwhip effect, that's going to put further downward pressure on inflation as well. And this is something that we've been talking about now since last year, saying, look, this inflation is transient. It's going to last a little longer than everybody expects, but it is transient. It has a lot to do with math uh, and how we calculate inflation, but also the inputs and how we measure the inputs going into inflation. But We've now seen the peak of inflation, most likely, and that's going to start to come down again. It can kind of linger here a little bit at the peak. But when the deflationary forces start to impact the economy, which they will later this year, inflation will come down rather sharply. Now, that is an issue for the Federal Reserve. You know, the Federal Reserve was up on Capitol Hill last week talking to senators and congressmen about monetary policy. And this is you know they made it very clear that they are focused on fighting inflation and that's true until something else breaks in the economy and then of course they will they will turn to financial stability as their primary focus but as we already start to see the prices for metals commodities Uh, copper, which is often considered to be a very strong economic indicator, uh, often called Dr. Copper. Copper has been falling fairly sharply here over the last few weeks as economic growth slows, right? Demand for copper. Now, let's go back to our bullwhip effect example a second ago. I said that Brent produces a widget. Well, for Brent to make that widget that he sells to me that I then sell to my customers, he's got to go get the commodities, For his widget. So let's say that his widget uses a lot of copper and, you know, platinum and other stuff, whatever he's making, right? He's got a lot of, you know, and and requires energy. So uh, petroleum. So he's got to go get these commodities. Well, the prices of all those commodities have been surging, which means the price of him making this widget has gone up, which is costing me more than I'm selling to my customers at a higher price. Now I've got all this inventory. I don't need it anymore. So I cut my orders to Brent, who then turns around and cuts his orders to the commodity producer. So the guy producing the copper says, all of a sudden, my orders are drying up. So the the in order for me to sell my copper, I've got to bring my prices down. So commodity prices are falling. Copper's leading the way, but we've also seen a decline in oil prices recently. We've seen a, de- a decline in, in a lot of commodity areas, even in the food even in the food space. We're starting to see agricultural prices come down. So all this kind of surge in demand that was caused by this liquidity that we forced into the economy as it reverses, that bullwhip effect is now impacting the end suppliers. Now, the reason that this is important is because this is where the Fed is about to run into a trap. They're focused on fighting inflation, so they're behind the curve. They're looking at trailing data and hiking interest rates on inflationary expectations. They're going to keep hiking rates even though, in the short term, there's clear evidence that we're about to have a much slower economic environment. But again, by the time that data filters through, the Fed will have already hiked rates to a point that potentially it breaks something economically. And so we either wind up in a recession or... Uh, Create some type of of financial event in the economy because of tighter monetary policy. Over the past 70 years, the first rate hike has come at the median when the consumer price index reached 2.5%. The first rate hike this year occurred in March when CPI had soared to 8.5%. So they are, So the Fed is now well behind the curve. But now, more importantly, as we go back through history, every time the inflation rate on an annualized basis was above 5%, the U.S. economy has always gone into recession. Could this, be, this time be different? Absolutely. So the problem for the Fed is going to be able to hike rates But the economy is going to cause a problem for them. And already, Fed fund futures markets are now predicting rate cuts by February of 2023. So think about that for a moment. This is already, we might as well just call it July because we're in the last week of June. But this is already, so July, August, September, October, November, December. And then you're potentially talking about rate cuts within six months Which means that if the Fed fund futures are already predicting that type of a rate cut by then, it's likely going to move forward probably into November, December this year that the Fed's going to be having to cut rates because of financial instability, falling inflation, deflationary forces in the economy. They're going to to start trying to cut rates in order to try to stimulate activity within the economy. So that's the Fed mistake right uh, and we've talked about this risk before is that the biggest risk for the market is a fed policy mistake and it looks like you know from a variety of different angles that they are actually about to to commit a policy mistake by hiking rates too fast in order to quell inflation which if you just left everything alone will solve itself over the course of the next few months because again All that liquidity that was pumped in the system is what caused it. So we had $5 trillion worth of liquidity come into the economy. We shut down the economy, couldn't produce anything. That created these problems of inflation. But now already we're starting to see the reversal of that. The checks are gone, so people are spending less. The inventory builds up to requiring companies to order less, which is going to bring down prices across the board. So if the Fed did nothing right now, the economy is going to take care of itself. But as is usually the case, the Fed goes too far, hikes rates too fast or, and, and hikes them too much and creates some type of financial instability in the markets. And that's why when we go back to talking about investing in the markets right now, the thing to really kind of pay attention to more than anything else is pay attention to the Fed and what's going on, but use these rallies to reduce exposure, rebalance risk, etc., because these rallies are continued most likely to be bear market rallies as the Fed continues to hike rates. Now, when do you start to buy? Heavily, right? You know, when when's that back up the truck moment for, for the markets? Now, you know, the problem is, is there's too many people wanting to back up the truck. Now, I mean, every day I'm getting emails like, you know, well, is it time to buy yet? You know, by the time we get to the bottom of – if this is a bear market, by the time we get there, nobody's going to want to buy stocks. But – You'll want to start buying stocks when the Fed starts backing off their rhetoric. When you start to see that pivot occurring, the markets will already start pricing in a Fed change in policy. And look, if we we weren't supposed to fight the Fed over the last decade on the way up, don't fight them now while they're hiking rates. You know, go along with them be more risk averse right now, but when the Fed starts to reverse that policy and begins to start talking about, hey, you know, we're watching inflation, inflation's coming down, we may need to slow the rates of our of our increases, those type of things, that's going to be your first kind of, you know, shot across the bow that you want to start looking to accumulate positions that have gotten very cheap, have good, strong fundamental balance sheets uh, and, and growth, that'll be the moment. And that'll be the, the start to when we start to see a transition back from the deflationary trades in the economy to more of the – sorry, the inflationary trades in the economy back to more of the deflationary trades of the economy, which would be technology and those types of companies. But we're not there yet. So that's what I'm saying. At the moment, don't fight the Fed. Uh, maintain your measures of risk control at this point. Have a little extra cash on the balance sheet. Make sure that you're short up at home so that you're not forced to, you know, you're not forced to sell stuff to raise cash to pay bills at the house uh, until we get to that point. Again, you know, there's a real risk and I don't want to downplay this at all. There's nothing that's nothing in this world is guaranteed, but there is a risk that the economy will will slip into a recession because of the combination of of this bullwhip effect that we have going on the economy plus this impact of the Fed increasing rates and tightening up monetary policy, reducing their balance sheet interventions, et cetera, and that's leading to weaker consumer sentiment, all that is going to push into the economy over the course of the next few months. So again, that's why just be careful for now. But when we get to the other side of this, there will be a really great opportunity. We're just not there yet. Okay. When we come back, people are upset with YouTube, and I'll tell you why after the break.
1: Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com.
0: Hurricane season is here, and along the Texas Gulf Coast, we know how to prepare. What we don't always know is which way the storm will go, and if a hurricane does come your way, whether your house will flood. Fortunately, you can get flood insurance. Unfortunately, flood insurance rates have skyrocketed. Don't be at risk. Let the specialists at RIA Insurance assess your needs and shop your coverage for the best rates possible. Another service from realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the insurance tab, realinvestmentadvice.com.
1: The Real Investment Show.
2: Hello, welcome back to the show this morning. Get ready to wrap things up. But two, two quick topics here. Uh, they actually kind of link with each other. A group of people are very upset with YouTube right now because their videos aren't being seen enough. And they uh, are demanding that YouTube censor other videos because there's not enough watching of their own videos. And this is, of course, following the Global Fact 9 conference, which is, I didn't even know they had a fact-checking conference, but it's a fact-checking conference organized by the International Fact-Checking Network, IFCN. And as an international network of fact-checking organizations, they monitor how lies spread online. And every day we see that YouTube is one of the major conduits of online disinformation and misinformation worldwide. This is a significant concern among our global fact-checking community. This was, of course, what the IFCN previously wrote in a letter to YouTube. And uh, during the conference, one of the speakers, who's the editor-in-chief of PolitiFact, <coughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge, uh, com- complain that fact checker groups are struggling because no one is interested in watching their content. Well, might be because when you do fact checking, it's biased. <laughs> you know, if you want to have a fact checking organization, this is great. Check all facts for their, you know, for their facts of what they are and not have a political bias to it. And this is, of course, the whole big problem why nobody watches it. Uh, there was a survey out this morning. In every country between the last five years, they went and surveyed you know, every major country, so the U.S., uh, United Kingdom, Spain, France, et cetera. And they had a, a graph out this morning from Statista, and it says, do you watch news anymore? And this compared current rates to the number of people who have actively chosen to avoid news versus where they were you know, five years ago. And in almost every country, there were double-digit increases um, in terms of the number of people who are actively avoiding news. In the U.S., it's about 43% of people actively avoid the news because it's not news, right? We we kind of have a, a joke here. we were running a a show pro, a promo for the show, talking about the comments we made previously. Is that you know news is now more opinion? It's not news anymore. So CNN has decided that they're going to stop breaking the breaking news. <laughs> News icon, right? So, Because they used it on everything. Um, But so it's kind of interesting that, you know, it's interesting that people, you know, particularly on on YouTube and the other channel, you know, people have more access today to voice their opinion by what they choose to view or where they they shop, you know, and of course we have, um, you know, rating agencies all kinds of, uh, you know, all over the place from Yelp to others, you know, you can leave a rating on everything now. Right. You're on Facebook. You can rate the page you're looking at. You can rate the restaurants you go to. You can rate the car dealership that you shop at. You can rate everything. Right. And so people have a very big voice today in what they choose to consume and how they choose to consume it. And so maybe rather than these fact checking organizations being upset because nobody wants to watch their stuff, maybe they should start to think about why does nobody want to watch my stuff? What is it that I'm doing that's not attracting followers, right? Why are people not interested in my content? And you know that's you know an issue to work with, right? It's just you know this is and, and that's and that's really kind of the important thing to think about is you know, if your customer isn't you know consuming your product, maybe it's maybe it's a you thing, maybe it's not a them thing. I mean, Doesn't really take rocket science to figure this stuff out. Um, I said this kind of tied together because, you know, part of these fact checkers have been on a rampage over the course of the last few years in particular about green energy policies in America. And, of course, now everybody's complaining about high oil and gas prices. And they go, well, how did we wind up with high oil and gas prices? How did this happen? Well, I can give you a few hints, right? Um, But instead of me telling you what I think, I'm just going to read to you from an article that was um, out this morning talking about the problem with the current administration's green energy agenda because they modeled themselves after the Germany policy. And the, and and there's a really good lesson to learn by watching Germany. Now, my, Now, the reason I say that is because my son lives in Germany, so he and I talk all the time about – you know, kind of what's going on in life in Germany, and he's living there and kind of experiencing this all firsthand. Um, 22 years ago, Germany stepped into the forefront of the green energy movement, implementing its program of subsidies for solar panels, wind turbines, etc. By the way, same thing the Biden administration did when he took office. The Biden administration, you you know, started providing heavy subsidies for wind and solar, Suppressed industries that could reliably meet America's energy needs like oil, gas and coal uh, in order to reduce the carbon footprint. So in January, the administration announced it had pulled every lever to position America to scale up green, uh, clean energy. The Biden-Harris administration readied offshore areas to harness the power from wind, approved new solar projects on public lands, and, of course, reduced drilling on public lands, and passed the bipartisan infrastructure law to build thousands of miles of transmission lines to deliver clean energy. So that's that was the tack that the administration took Uh, shut down the XL pipeline, reduced drilling on public lands, reduced permitting, uh, uh, you know, slowed permitting down, and now everybody's complaining that oil companies aren't drilling enough, right? So this is how we get into this problem is by doing stupid things. But 22 years ago, Germany had already started this process back in 2000. And then after the 2011 nuclear disaster when the Fukushima plant, uh, nuclear plant, cratered because of the, the tsunami, earthquake, tsunami that you know really devastated Japan, shut down the Fukushima plant, caused all kinds of problems. Germany says, well, we don't want that nuclear fallout, so we'll shut down our nuclear program as well. Um, so that has led to a big shortage of energy in Germany. In 2000, less than 7% of Germany's electricity came from so-called renewables. By 2021, that share exceeded 40% of the country's electricity generation and 20% of its total energy consumption uh, and also included electric vehicles. So all of a sudden, their dependency on this green energy, which is much less efficient, um, skyrocketed. By the end of 2021, before the Ukraine war, by the way, Throw prices higher. German households, and I can tell you this for a fact, pay $0.32 per kilowatt hour for electricity. Now, how does that compare? Well, in France, which kept their nuclear industry intact, they pay about $0.23. Average Americans pay about $0.11 per kilowatt hour because of our oil and gas electricity Coal-generated electricity, nuclear-generated electricity here in the U.S., much cheaper. That was then. (laughs) If you haven't watched your electric bill lately, well, that's a different story now. 20% of Germans' electric bills went to a renewables surcharge to subsidize wind and solar. Now, this is the problem with all of these green energies, right? They don't work in terms of creating a profitable byproduct. They have to be subsidized heavily in order to make them work because otherwise the cost of electricity, the the production of that electricity is inefficient. So, you know, in order to get that electricity to consumers at a reasonable rate, it has to be subsidized. And this is the problem. Germany spent heavily in increasing its renewable energy capacity, but in the case of wind and solar, capacity never delivered the promised output. Again, it's very inefficient. According to a 2020 report from the Institute for Electrical and Electronics Engineers, the IEEE, Germany's electricity output in 2000 was 54% of its total capacity, also known as the capacity factor. Unused capacity is the room from from, uh, power grids because the demand of electricity varies uh, uh, varies significantly depending on the time of the season, kind of, et cetera. So that's where this comes out. By 2019, so just 19 years later, Germany's total capacity had risen dramatically thanks to sharp increases in renewables. Its capacity factor had fallen to just 20%, largely because wind and solar generators are what? less productive than fossil fuels or nuclear. So total capacity factor for solar energy was just 10% because much of the country is often overcast. Wind energy is also producing well below capacity because wind turbines produce no energy on calm days and had to shut down on particularly gusty days to prevent turbine blades from being damaged. So in other words, as long as the sun's shining and the wind's blowing at just the right speed, you're good. Anything outside of that, it doesn't work. And what you need to have in terms of energy stability and energy security, which is a national security issue, is stability of energy production. And this is the one thing that kind of eludes people that you've got to have the stability of energy production. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of alternatives to creating standard energy. You know, if you want to create clean energy, nuclear, um, hydro uh, generation, et cetera, are all much, I mean, rivers flow constantly, right? So, you know, you can build a dam and generate electricity on a very stable basis because of the flow of water, you know, offshore generation. Uh, because tides never stop regardless of what's going on. There's not an overcast day where tides stop. There's better choices, but the lessons that we are failing to learn is what is causing the problems that we have in energy prices, and that's not gonna get better. It's gonna continue to get worse as we continue to make these mistakes of chasing an inefficient form of clean energy. That also, by the way, requires an immense amount of oil-based products, petroleum-based products, to manufacture to begin with. Wraps up the show for the day. We'll be back tomorrow, of course, for Wednesday. Danny Ratliff will join me. Markets are still pointing up this morning, so let's see if we can tack on a bit of an advance today. Uh, three Minutes of Markets and Money will come out here in a few minutes. We'll be updating the market action for today, what to expect. Um, also, our latest article out on an earnings recession on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. See you back here
1: tomorrow.